This week on Erotic Awakening, is it a lifestyle? Welcome to Erotic Awakening with Dan and Dawn, a weekly view of all things erotic. From BDSM to erotic spirituality, from swinging as a lifestyle to simply fun kink, each week we bring you a diverse offering of erotic and alternative lifestyles in its many forms. This podcast includes frank discussions of highly sexual topics. This podcast is intended for consenting adults over the age of 18. If you are offended by this type of content, we recommend you stop listening right now. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dawn. Oh, I'm so tired. <laughs> I was going to ask you how you were feeling. I'm not doing too bad considering we just drove yesterday and... It's bad enough that we had to drive six hours, but because of time changes and time zones and springing <laughs> forward, we drove for eight hours or, or something similar. But we're back from Sensations in Leather. Fantastic event, though. Mm-hmm. No regrets about going whatsoever. Absolutely not. So it was in Chicago, and it was a lot of fun. We met some great people. Yep, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that and talk about some of those people we met. Mm-hmm. On this week's show, we are, uh, well, I tell you. Last week, we did Sex is Fun. Right. Is it just, you know, fun? Right. And the week before that, we did Sacred Kink, mm-hmm. talking about using this as a sacred aspect to your lifestyle. Right. So this week, is it a lifestyle? I don't know. Let's Need- chat about it and figure it out. Well, as not. A- <laughs> <laughs> Yes. On today's show, we come up with a definitive answer, if it's a lifestyle or not. <laughs> Without any debate or question. Hmm. But unfortunately, I posted that question to our FetLife group, and I have plenty of debate and question. And we posted it to the Twitter account as mm-hmm. well. And got all kinds of great feedback. Later in the show, we'll also be talking to Melina Williams and Sarah Sloan. Right. Both national presenters. And they'll be talking about the aspect of recovery in the lifestyle. And we've touched on that topic before. We have. So that'll be interesting. And we'll listen to that later in the show. Okay. Uh, what else we got going on? Do you know, on the way to Sensations in Leather, so we are such event whores. <laughs> We're driving to an event, mm-hmm. and we can't wait, and we call someone to talk about it. Oh, events. that's right. We did. We pulled over so we could concentrate, and it was good. We spoke to uh, Jason, who is the event promoter for Beat Me in St. Louis, and that event is coming up in just a couple of weeks. And I just got an email last night, once we got home, that mm-hmm. uh, they are almost sold out. Wow. So nice. we'll play uh, that conversation that we have with Jason, a uh, couple minutes of conversation. He'll tell you, us a little bit about Beat Me in St. Louis, mm-hmm. and then you can try and talk me into spending the money so we can get out that <laughs> way. We're fortunate we've been to that one before, and it was a lot of fun. It was. What else you got? I don't know. What else do we have? The most important part of all. Oh, yes. Gotta so send a shout out. We do. Shout out to a couple of people that we met up at Sensations. Um, it was Scott and Boy X and Cambion. So, fanboys of Erotic Awakening. So, <laughs> I don't know that Scott wants to be called a fanboy. Probably not. <laughs> but uh, Boy X and Cambion, is, we've run into them before. Mm-hmm. They absolutely know that's the title that we've yes. given them. We're, we're going to send you guys t-shirts that say EA Fanboys. Ooh, that would be awesome. Just as soon as we come up with that budget. <laughs> Which uh, probably comes from selling Don's ass or something appropriate like hey! that. Hey! <laughs> Only for an auction for, do- for charity. Yes. So keep it legal. So... After we're back from Sensations, had a wonderful time, happened to run a couple 12-step meetings, had two fantastic classes, ran Central BDSM, Mm -hmm. and a lot of great feedback on that one. And then we did our uh, second presentation, Talking Naughty. Talking Naughty. Wow. um, That one went so well, we didn't even get to the end of our notes. We covered all the main points, but there was some extra stuff that we wanted to throw in there, and that class was just so much fun with so much participation that we didn't get to all of it. Yep, it, it was just a dynamic audience and mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of feedback and just just as you said, a ton of fun. Um, and we got through so many different ways that we can. For example, we did eat my pussy, mm-hmm. and we did eat, <laughs> eat my pussy in five different ways. And by the way, if uh, you're a presenter and women keep saying eat my pussy. It is important to have clear and concise notes of what you're supposed to be doing. 
Even when it's a man telling you to eat my pussy. And we'll talk about that some other day, I think. <laughs> so we'll revisit that topic at some point and talk a little bit about talk itself. But now we're back from sensations. Mm-hmm. Deep breath. Yeah. Because the big, long road trip aspect of our life is currently over. So yes. for uh, people out there that don't really care so much about all the different events, mm-hmm. we're done. We're for done. a while, we, yeah, it slows down quite a bit. we still got a few things to do this year, but yeah, we get a breather in between this time. <laughs> Amazing that at this point in our life, one a month is like, oh, we've slowed down. Yes. <laughs> one a month now. <laughs> time to do some other things. So we'll be staying home for a little while, and we'll be working on the brand new website, eroticawakening.com. If you are a WordPress designer and would like to design the Erotic Awakening WordPress uh, website, website <laughs> then do so and say, Dan, here it is, and I'll use it because I ain't uh, so creative sometimes <laughs> with that computer stuff. That's why we have a slave, slave girl, Jen. Yes. Who is very creative and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, very, um, and I have to send a shout out to slave girl, Jen. Yes. She saw me yesterday hacking around with the WordPress site and it took me <laughs> 30 minutes to do something she could have done in four minutes. And I could see that in her eyes and she sat there sitting on her hands and slowly gritted her teeth. <laughs> very impressive of her. Also looking at uh, putting together a new logo. We have right now the mm-hmm. sneaky, wandering, E-fucking-an-A sort of thing yeah. going on. I'm very happy with that one, but looking at some other stuff and a couple other pictures out there on the website. And... Yeah, trying to embrace that whole erotic awakening sort of theme instead of just a, um, a something, I don't know, the E-A, just it's creative, but it's not as creative as what we're looking for. So something that embraces erotic awakening. Yeah, and that's... Um going to be really interesting to see what people come up with so again if you're a podcast designer well that doesn't make sense does it if you're a logo somebody spent a lot of hours on the road yesterday and here comes the crash and burn recorded for your pleasure i probably should edit it but i'll hit the wrong button and wipe the whole thing if you would like to help design a logo for erotic awakening or a wordpress theme we'd be more than happy to take a look at anything you'd like to put together and we will send you all kinds of good kudos and put your name on the end of our podcast or the beginning of the podcast and send people to you for more WordPress designs and more logos or whatever else you would like. Sounds like a plan. If you would like to do that, (laughs) then you can get a hold of us in a variety of ways. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, By email, it is dananddawn at eroticawakening.com. Our voice net mail number is 206-309-0054. At FetLife, we can be found under the group Erotic Awakening. Where the kinky monogamy debate rages on. <laughs> and via Twitter, Dan and Dawn. So, did you know on FetLife, there um, is a group called It's Not a Fucking Lifestyle? Really? There is. Okay. Uh, (laughs) What do they have to say on there? That is not a fucking lifestyle. (laughs) So it's very bizarre to think about, is this a lifestyle? And I'll tell you, here's our our two opposite ends of the spectrum. On one hand, we have a group of people that banded together to proudly shout and proclaim it's not a fucking lifestyle. Okay. On the other hand, on the other side of that spectrum, we have... And I hope I have your name right, is His Namaste. Sounds right. Mm-hmm. Who says, for me, it is the authentic expression of myself and soul. Nice. So talk about a broad spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, man, i got to get rid of that word out of my vocabulary. <laughs> spectrum? You hardly ever no. use <laughs> So, but, um, I, gosh, for me, we were chatting about this on the ride home last night. For, I know our MS relationship to me is very much a lifestyle because it's how we live so like his namaste said it's it's our authentic selves and it's how we designed our relationship so how could it be anything but a lifestyle another late shout out to uh mr cunningham okay who saw us at uh, sensations and he responded to our question is it a lifestyle and he says you know for me is it a and he talks about whether it's a hobby he says it's a balance of both, similar to the suit-wearing professional during the week that leathers up and rides Harleys on the weekend. 
Okay. Well, I can see where that's considered not so much a lifestyle. A little bit of balance. Yeah, a little bit of balance. Uh, Long-time listener and uh, occasional have her on the show when I can sneak a microphone via your booty up to her place, (laughs) Cave Babe, uh, tends to refer to it as a lifestyle. And she Mm -hmm. knows a lot of people don't like the word, but... um, you know, for some people, it really is a bigger part of just a hobby. Yeah. See, I, I can see that, and I, I agree with that. I, I understand both sides of the spectrum. I see people live it both ways, but... She says it permeates so much of what I do, how I think, etc., mm-hmm. that it is the best word for me. That makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Immediately responded, somebody else says, uh, Witch Wolf says, For me, it is only an interest. I don't participate in any other way other than to read the post. I find it fascinating to learn about others' experiences. And hopefully, uh, Witch Wolf, you both read the post and listen to the podcast on occasionally. <laughs> There's a little poke. poke. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm curious, Witch Wolf, I would love to have you, by the way, come out onto the show via whatever recording device you want, unless you're local, and tell me, about that you know why do you participate only via the way you choose to and certainly nothing wrong or right with it you know people make decisions right and that's the way they want to participate in it so and I can see for them that this is not not a lifestyle it's 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 hot and interesting Mm -hmm. and then JJ slave said for me it's a lifestyle it's how I live completely so there's no putting on the slave mask anymore it's who she is and, and Miss In Control. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's really neat to have people that we know because we can actually know. pick you guys. Um, says that she's been using the word community. You know, it's not necessarily a lifestyle, but a community. So you can see all those posts out on the Erotic Awakening Fet Life group, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's got their own. So it's bizarre how much different opinions there are out there, right? Everybody's got their own opinion, their own way they view things. Right. Some of it comes from people are hearing the question differently. I think that's a part of it, too. When we talk about the master-slave relationship, is Mm -hmm. that a lifestyle? It's a significant part of our life. It's who we are. It's how we live. even Even as mom and sister and daughter and priestess and whatever, I still have an underlying MS foundation. So to me, it's still, I still consider it a lifestyle. But when you think about it from the perspective of people that just interact, whether they're in MS relationships or not, whether they're just interested in the scene so that they can be involved in things, Mm -hmm. I wonder if it's a lifestyle for, if if the swinger community, and one of the big swing sites is Uh swinglifestyles.com, you know, so they certainly are using that term. Right. Just going to events. Just being involved in things, right? Is that aspect of who you are part of your lifestyle? And and if you remember correctly, as we drove back last night from Chicago and we were all coffeeed up, <laughs> we were talking about um, how are we going to stay awake? So we got more coffee. And then we right. talked about this topic, right? And mm-hmm. we talked about whether, if, for example, comic book collectors, right? And you and I have been to a few comic cons. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is... We have friends that have been to <laughs> It wasn't us, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Just but people that look like us. When we were vending, we tried vending for a while, and we went to these comic book conventions, and these are people that you can draw some parallels. They mm-hmm. travel around the nation. They go to these three-day events. They uh, stay at the hotel. They go mm-hmm. down there. They talk and eat and drink comic book stuff mm-hmm. with other comic book stuff, and they swap comic book stories and maybe share their comic books with each other. I don't right. Know, kind of STD production you have to use to swap your comic <laughs> we share book. comic books. But is that a lifestyle? See, I think it is. I think that their friends are comic book people. I think, um, you know, they're probably on comic book boards. They probably tabletop with their friends. You know, all this type of stuff. I think it permeates their life. And when it permeates, that's when I think it's a lifestyle. All right. So what you're saying then is, if I understand what you're saying there, for example, at Sensations in Leather in the Dungeon, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, I seem to recall having you nearly naked on a spanking bench and caning you. Yes. And then throwing you around on the ground and doing other kinds of <laughs> biting and punching and clawing and, and the kind of stuff. <laughs> naughty stuff we do. 
Mm-hmm. And then I had you in another position, and I seem to recall <laughs> lovingly ramming my cock in your mouth. Yeah, lovingly. <laughs> and with very romantically telling you to suck at your dirty whore. <laughs> right. That's a lifestyle? Hmm. That's one of the toys of our lifestyle. That's one of the tools of our lifestyle. Hmm. Because we play within our lifestyle. I mean, it's still play. It's still a power exchange. You know, it's it's all those tools that we use to live our lifestyle. Do you think we should have put a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode that there might be naughty talk? Or that our opinion isn't the only opinion, which I think we've covered as well. That might be more appropriate. (laughs) If you've gotten this far and you're like, he's going to say fuck on the podcast. Not sure what you were expecting from this podcast. Perhaps more class. I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) I'm going to talk for myself. So we we shared a bunch of other people's opinions, and that's really neat. And hopefully this this conversation continues on the uh, Erotic Awakening Fet Life board. Right. But Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you how I feel about it. For me, you know, this is a lifestyle. And the reason that I believe it's a lifestyle is not the scene that we had in the dungeon. It's not the presenting that we do. Right. It's not the time we invest in traveling or the money we invest when we go out there or the toys that we buy in our bag. Sensations in leather was, and other events that we go to are these opportunities to let down the walls and be your authentic self. When I'm talking to Master Gallad about what kind of self-improvement audiobooks he listens to on the drive here, right? Or when I am sitting with a leather daddy and his leather boy and we're just talking about who we are, what traffic was like, what classes we're interested in, what we did last year, how much we've grown from one place to another. And this whole group of us comes Sunday afternoon as it gets later and later. Everybody starts, got to go back to work. Got to go back to real life. Got to go back to the job. Got to go back to mm-hmm. dealing with, you know, people that don't see the real me. Right. Right. Because who I perceive myself as on this podcast, when we go to these lifestyle-friendly events, when we surround ourselves with lifestyle-friendly people, be master and slave or just BDSM enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Or other kinds of seekers, right? And that's what we all are. And for me, and it's just me, (laughs) it is the seeker lifestyle. Mm. It is the, I am not going to accept that the way you tell me to have sex, the way you tell me to dress, the way you tell me to interact with other people of a variety of genders is good enough. I am going to seek my own path. I am going to find that self. You know, I like um, that. So for me, that that is why I'm going to put this, regardless of the fact that it is fun, right? It is just interesting. It is just a hobby. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, it is also a lifestyle. It's a significant part of who I am. Yes. Another way you can answer the question for yourself: If you met Mister or Mrs. Wright, and they were beautiful and wonderful, and you loved them, and they liked the same movies and the same food, and birds came out and sang every time <laughs> you walked down the path. And they said, you know, everything is wonderful, but I need you to give up your leather. I need you to stop being a dominatrix. I need you to stop going to those weird events. Mm -hmm. Would you do it? Would you do it? I don't think I could. No, I know you can. (laughs) I know you can. And I couldn't either. Right. And the funny thing is we've both had previous relationships where we tried. Right. You know. We met uh, just so many couples this weekend that were there for the first time. And individuals as well that were there for the mm-hmm. first time. It was awesome. It was beautiful. I mean, there for the first time at an event, there for the first time at the 12-step meetings. I love how you put that as a seeker lifestyle. So I just, that really resonates. Mm-hmm.
Also, the scenery is lovely. <laughs> the scenery is quite lovely. Here. You keep your perversion oh. down. Attention. <laughs> we're talking. We're talking about alcoholism and recovery. Could you please keep your sex down? Because <laughs> that's kinky. So here we are, still at Dark Odyssey, mm-hmm. and today we are sitting with Melina Williams and Sarah Sloan, and we're going to talk a little bit about recovery in the lifestyle. And it's not a topic that we have shied away from too much on the podcast. We've mentioned it before. We have. Uh, for a little bit of context, uh, hi, my name's Dan, I'm an addict, and I'm, <laughs> this March I'll hit 21 years clean. Woohoo! Hi, Dan, that's awesome. <laughs> it's, just, it's just automatic, you have to say, hi, Dan. <laughs> Yeah. Keep coming back. <laughs> so my understanding is you guys have some background in recovery as well. Yeah, um, I'm. Uh, I have been an active. I've been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous in good standing since 1990. Uh, my actual sobriety date is May 10th. So this May 10th, God willing, I will have um, 20 years um, sober and clean. And um, I also have done some recovery around. Um, I. I I'm a real big 12-stepper. Um, that seems to be one of the things that works for me personally. So I've also dealt with a lot of my issues with codependency okay. and some of my childhood abuse issues with, by using the 12 steps. But um, you know, I am an occasional visitor to an Al-Anon meeting to remind me that I cannot control other people. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's kind of my history around it. Okay. Awesome. Uh, my name is Melina. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, I'm just, just a really boring, straight-up drunk. I don't have much else going on in my recovery. Um, my sobriety date is March 14th, 2007, as you can see from my tattoo, which I have the date tattooed on my wrist, uh, against a recommendation of the one of the counselors in my rehab, actually. I had a very powerful dream that was inspiring me to do that. And she said, well, what's going to happen when you relapse? And I said, wow, thank you for your um, thank you for your confidence in my, in my ability to stay sober. I said, if that happens, I will get this date crossed out, and I will get the next date below it. And if I'm 100 years old and I've got 50 dates on my arm, at least I'll be 100 years old and alive. Um, right. And um, I, one of the conditions of being in the rehab where I was was that we had to attend 12-step meetings. I was very, very dedicated and diligent, did my 90 and 90. Um, and as of now, my program is a more inclusive program. I started, um, I restarted a kink-centric uh, 12-step group, recovery group in San Francisco that's called SafeWord. Mm-hmm. And it's inclusive of anyone in any sort of recovery. And so it's not quite AA, but we base it on that. And it's AA enough and NA enough. Mm-hmm. You know, we read the steps, but we take away, you know, the specific references to alcoholism, etc., to make it so that people in any sort of recovery mm-hmm. feel comfortable attending. That's awesome. And it's really fantastic to be sitting in the dungeon, you know, and have the person who's giving their share in a sling. <laughs> um, and so that's a little bit of my background. Right. People might be surprised to find out that we're not that much of a minority as they might guess. There's been very rare that I can't go to an event and I won't run into what we often call friend of Bill. And it's actually over the last few years, I know that Master Z of Chicago, he runs two events in Chicago, and at those events now, we run Recovery in the Lifestyle 12-step meetings. That's part of the curriculum now. And there's a group, Recovery in the Lifestyle, that's similar to what you were talking about, Molina, that started in Florida. I believe. Right, so it's more yes, coast. yes. I've heard, I've, I've been in contact with a few of those folks. Nice. So, do you think that more alcoholics and addicts are ending up being okay with their kink and expressing that, or it's just we're a little more aware as kink and such becomes more mainstream in itself? I think that uh, within the scene, there. I don't think the percentages are that much higher, and inside or outside the scene. That what I've seen anecdotally, my personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> what I find is remarkable is that people are used to sharing really intimate stuff, and so it's a lot easier to network with other folks in recovery. Before I was in recovery, I hadn't ever thought about that. Mm-hmm. Once I came out as being in recovery, you know, I was actually blogging from rehab. I was calling in <laughs> blog entries to my friend, and I said, "Okay, I want you to put it out there that I'm in rehab, and that's what's going on for me." And within three days. <clears throat> 
I had 25 or 30 people I'd known for years who were emailing me and calling me and leaving me messages and saying, I'm sober too, 10 years, 5 years, 27 years, all these folks I'd known forever and had no idea. And so it was as though this other family within the family opened up and said, well, you're here with us too now. And I would never have known that about them per se. They weren't secret about it, but you know, I didn't necessarily need to know that. But once I needed to know it, the support was fucking amazing. It was, it really was the next thing that helped me to stay sober. To a network within a network. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think also one of the things that, that a lot of people who have um, been dealing with alcoholism or drug addiction also use other behaviors compulsively. You know, and, and I'm going to steer away from saying sex addiction simply because I think, uh, while I think it is an addiction, I think it's more of a compulsion. Um, personally, I think it's like you you use it as a means to try to you know do the same thing we were doing with alcohol, whether it was kind of like blind ourselves to real life or keep us from having to deal with the reality of who we are mm-hmm. and what our shit is. Um, so I think I, I, I find it very interesting because quite often I will see people who are um, using sex or SM uh, in in what I would call, from my third person perspective, in a, compuls- in a compulsive manner um, in the kink community. But I've also seen people who, um, through the process of working their own recovery program, um, they find themselves really starting to deal with parts of their sexuality that they may not have been comfortable with for a long time. Mm-hmm. Because as, as, as our experiences with 12 Steps is we, we learn to accept ourselves for who we are as you know particularly that's step four um, we look at who we are as a you know on the sum total of who we are as a human being right. and we start looking at the fact that we're not all wrong or what we're doing is bad and we start feeling empowered to deal with who we are as a sexual creature who we are um, does our gender work for us does the gender that we're claiming work for us do we feel authentic as human beings um, how do we want to do our relationships mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of an interesting thing I've seen a number of people who've um, kind of come to the kink community after spending some time realizing that what they've been part of what who part of who they are and what they're wired for that they've been trying to cover up for years because they thought it was wrong you know they suddenly start realizing wait a minute maybe it's not wrong maybe I am the person that the universe created me to be and this is part of that and I think that that's a great point and I think when you, if you get to the point where you say all right staying sober is the most important thing in my life that means that second thing that I've been hiding right. from everyone around me the fact that I'm gay, the fact that I'm a crossdresser, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. suddenly I've got to make a choice. Do I come to terms with that or do I go back to medicating myself? Mm-hmm. So, And while medicating yourself, you might not even realize that's who you are because that wasn't your yep. priority. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing is a lot of our behavior, for many of us who are out there doing something that we ought not be doing, haha, um, a lot of times our behavior around our drinking and our drugging is very shamed sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to, um, I used to fuck my dealer. You know, I mean that was that was how I stayed in. You know, um, my last drunk was the reason I came into a in the first place was that my last drunk involved me sleeping with my best friend's bro- uh, boyfriend. And without, obviously, this was not like a poly situation where there was consent. Um, so a lot of what brought me into the rooms was the shame about my behavior when I was drinking. Mm-hmm. And I know that when I talk to other women in recovery, we that that's not uncommon. That a lot of women in recovery have done things that we are ashamed about sexually. You know, we've, we've either gotten involved with people that we might not have otherwise gotten involved with, or we've accepted sexual behavior that we might not now accept. So part of what we have to go through, I think, for people in that position, as we proceed in our recovery, is is forgiving ourselves for making choices that we may not have made sober, but also looking at what we experienced and deciding whether that was actually something positive or something negative. Um, 
I found my first, uh, the first person I had kinky sex with um, was my, a guy who was my dealer. Um, and the first time we, you know, we had kinky sex, he tied me down to the bed and put a blindfold on me, and I was stoned off my, out of my gourd, and he put Dark Side of the Moon on, which is what you do when you're stoned off your gourd. Um, and we were tripping on acid, and, and he came in later and just fucked the hell out of me. And that was the first kind of, any kind of kinky sex. When I got sober and when I started dealing with my child abuse issues, I felt like that there was not a place in my life for that because I, I lumped that in with all of the other abusive right. and addictive behavior. Right. And so after after having been sober for about seven or eight years, I started finally being able to be at a place in my life where I could parse apart, you know, what was this sexual experience and was that something that was really, um, that was not, that was a positive thing for me. Does that kind of sex, is that actually a positive thing for me or is it a negative thing for me? And I kind of explored it a little bit and realized that those desires had been around since before I was drinking and they weren't part of a self-harm pattern for me that they were actually part of what my body and what my mind and what my spirit felt was healthy and natural and, and good for me sexually and, and as far as relationships go. So it took me like that eight years of being being sober and dealing with my abuse to kind of come back full circle to, even though this is in a situation that wasn't really healthy, obviously, you know, getting really fucked up and tied down to the bed by a guy who's your dealer may not be the smartest decision that you can make. Um, the actual sex was not a bad thing. And so it was this big process of me kind of coming to terms with this shameful activity that really wasn't shameful. It was just, wow, you know, there was some positive that was coming out of that even through the midst of my drinking and my drugging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do, do you feel there's any inherent uh, incompatibilities between the lifestyle and recovery? And the exa one example that comes to mind is the woman sitting on my left here is my slave. Mm -hmm. She is my responsibility. You know, uh, we have a very significant MS total power exchange relationship, and I am powerless over the disease of addiction, etc., etc. I mean, it's if actually I, in our contract. Um, one of the ways that I have to leave is if he starts drugging again. Mm. Yes, it's an auto exit it's clause in our, I in our contract. I can't it's really say, awesome. I'll stay there and help you. I can help from a distance, but, what but do you I can't stay. But what do you say to someone who says, well, clearly, if you are truly powerless, then you can't wield power over another human being. Mm, 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 mm. Powerless does not mean that you're not able to, to, to do control. Um, powerlessness is an acknowledgement that you have no control over final outcome. Um, powerlessness is not is not kind of... It's not waking up in the morning and go, well, I'm totally powerless over the world, so I'm just going to stay in bed today. You know, powerlessness doesn't absolve you of responsibility for your life, and it doesn't absolve you of responsibility for your relationships. Powerlessness is about coming to terms with the fact that there are many things in the world that we are powerless over. Even though she's your slave, you're powerless over her. You know, your 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 ability to actually control her behavior is zero without her actually saying, okay, I'm going to accept your direction. Um, and, and take that forward in my life. Mm -hmm. So, um, and actually, the people who are dominants or masters or mistresses that feel like they have that kind of level of power, I kind of want to remind them that, you know, we only have the power that we're given. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and in the end, we're only responsible for, for putting out that effort. You know, everything else is up to the universe or your higher power or your group or whatever your, your concept of HP is. Um, yeah, I, I, I almost feel like every person who wants to be a lifelong dominant or a lifelong master or mistress should uh, go through a 12 step program because I think it's very good training for what you can and what you cannot control and for coming to terms with that. Um, I really would like to hear what Mo says about that from the slave perspective though. Oh, this is, it's, it's interesting because my concept of what powerlessness means is something that is not quite, it doesn't quite jibe with me on a personal level. So it's one of the things in 12 step that I butt up against because um, I actually believe very much in personal responsibility and I very much believe in my higher power being absolutely 
all-powerful and myself through him having the capacity to have that power channeled through me. Mm -hmm. And so as a person who is a slave and in service and in that mindset, um, giving over the power over me to another human being is something that's always secondary to God. Always, always, always. You know, so if I were to be in service to or owned by someone who uh, was my master and I am not expecting them to say, you will no longer drink. It is my responsibility to keep you sober. It's like, no, no, no. That doesn't make any sense and that's not right. What it is your responsibility to do is to keep, you know, your finger on my pulse and to see if by your estimation you see something that I'm not seeing. <laughs> to suggest, you know, it might be great for you. It's like a no and you think that maybe you could X. Maybe you could go meditate. Perhaps it would be a good idea for you to connect with some other sober people. Perhaps it would be helpful for you too. And that is about the amount of power you can exert over anyone at any point is the suggestion. Yeah. You know, which is the great thing the AA does. It's like, here are the suggestions. We strongly suggest that you fucking stay sober. <laughs> you know? Um, and so the idea of being powerless over it doesn't mean that you have no power within yourself. You know? And that's very easily conflated for people, I think. I see that I see that becoming a struggle and the language around it is very tough for me, you know, because I'm very anal about precise language, you know, um, and I and I and I think it's fantastic that you have that contracted because it's something that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge the possibility. Well, I'm going to be, you know, sober, so whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. Shit happens. One day at a time. You know, seriously, seriously, you're very much protecting yourself in that way. And I would absolutely, in a situation where I was in service to someone, have that contract go both ways that you know and, and I'll tell you that might that might help me if I see myself slipping and I know one of the other things I will lose if I drink is my master or mistress that might be the one thing as that bottle is in front of you that makes you go fuck really that too yes. maybe it's not worth yes. it today yeah <laughs> and it's interesting with with people that I'm in relationships with I have, I have an additional slave I have a girlfriend and neither one of those have a background in addictions and they don't know Dan, the junkie. They only know Dan, the recovering guy with, you know, a few years under his belt. So I was for, there. <laughs> so for them to understand the reality of it, if I go back to using your job, your duty to me, or your loyalty to me lies in ducking and hiding. Yeah. Because I instantly will not, I'll become this guy you don't know anymore. And I won't be able to not to be that guy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's really neat to, to explain yeah. it to people and have it in an MS contract. Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to get out of this relationship, you must do these things and we do this and do that and formalize ritualized ending the contract or if I use, you get to run away as quick as possible. Sure, yeah. One thing that I, I always liked when I was fighting with what the concept of powerlessness was back in the day, <laughs> back in the early days of AA, you know, where, where we had to actually use telephones to connect with each other. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of, I can't text my sponsor. I, I'm, I wish I could have texted my sponsor back in the day, like, yes, it's morning, I'm okay, I'm going to go to work now. Of, Good morning, sponsor, how are you? Um, but one thing that I was, is I keep coming back to the serenity prayer. And and um, the way we used to kind of describe it is um, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom of the difference. The difference is what is anything outside of my own body. Um, if it's within my own body, I can I can change it. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's outside of my body, I got no fucking hope. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like as as a dominant, as somebody who works with service people, um, I work towards changing myself and improving myself and giving them the opportunity to make changes um, through suggestion, like we were talking Influence. about. Um, but by saying things like that was really Mo, that was wonderful the way that you served last night at dinner. I really loved it. I really appreciated it and I got many compliments on your work. I did notice that you were serving from both the left and the right and that was a little bit jarring so I'd like for you to work on that next time. But overall you did a fantastic job and as a reward I'm going to give you an orgasm today. It's using those positive techniques that we, we learn to use. Um, we learn to affirm ourselves as strong human beings which is what I did with her. Um, you know I 
said, you were a strong human being. You did a great job. I, I, you know, I learned through my own step work not to belittle myself for, for the little things that were wrong. So my way of handling that with somebody who's in service to me is I also do that for them. It's like there was one small, small change. Here's what I'd like to be changed. I didn't say, you suck because you didn't do this, which I've unfortunately heard dominance do before. Um, and that doesn't work real well because encouraging change generally is a positive thing and, and not a negative. Um, but being able to actually identify that no matter how much I want this person to do this, I have no control over it whatsoever, so it's not my responsibility if they don't. Mm-hmm. I've actually found in the past, you know, I'm still really new, obviously. I'm, you know, God willing, will be three in a couple of weeks. That's a lot. But, um, <laughs> yes. but I'll tell you, when I, um, I attribute a great deal of my recovery and sobriety to BDSM and kink, not that it fixed me, but I'll tell you, I noticed a distinct uh, correlation between my falling out of the scene and my fi- my final circle of the bowl, you know, because one of the things I never did was walk into a play party having been drunk. I would go out for dinner and have a glass of wine, whatever. Now, that's not to say that the second I walked out of the dungeon, I was across the street getting a pint of some shit and fucked up by the time I got home, absolutely. But one of the things that was absolutely true was that I would not play fucked up, even at, at the towards the, towards the very end. You know, that was something I absolutely was hardcore about, except when you're not in service and you're not playing then you have that one more night a week where you're fucked up and then it becomes you know in a month you haven't played in two months and so as I fell further and further mm-hmm. out of the scene because of life stuff because of being single because it was just like I can't go to another party and go home alone this is sort of a bummer for me right. you know I discovered that that was part and parcel of of that being part of what was driving me away from myself mm-hmm. you know and so I made a commitment to myself that because I had found so many good friends that were in, co- re- that were in recovery that part of what I did was more kink events mm-hmm. I felt less awkward and weird my social anxiety didn't crop up as much even just being in the dungeon I was like this weekend just fucking go and work the door for four hours you yeah. know that that yeah. would be a safe space for you yeah. no one's gonna walk in there fucked up and make you feel uncomfortable and weird yeah. you know and if they do it's like, get out! One of the things that I would like to suggest that Sarah brought up a little while ago was the um, having Dom and Dames go to a 12-step meeting. Uh You know, because there is a lot of good life stuff in there. Mm -hmm. Being a slave of a master, I started going to 12-step stuff. Now, I've got my own stuff to work on, so I've been to OA. I've been to SIA. I've been to Al-Anon. I'm sorry, what is SIA? Survivors of Incest Anonymous. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been to Al-Anon. I've been to these things. I've been to NA meetings so that I know what he's going through. I would highly suggest that of mm-hmm. anybody that's in a relationship with someone that's 12-stepping. Absolutely. Yeah. Because there's their, their own lingo, there's their own attitudes on things. Mm-hmm. You know, when he tells me my emotions are my responsibility, and I'm sitting here going, but I'm slave. They're supposed to be your responsibility, <laughs> you know? And things like that. Yeah. You know, you, you need to know that lingo. So I highly recommend that to anyone that's in a relationship with a 12-stepper. Mm-hmm. Let me let me ask you about, now you've run a hybrid group where it's kink-friendly 12-step recovery. Right. Do you guys spend most of the meeting talking about sex? No. And the reason, the reason <laughs> I ask that is because this is one of the things I did not get out of when I was actively going daily to NA meetings. Nobody talks about sex. Right. And I think, for me, that was huge because one of the things that was most affected by my addiction was my ability to make love. You know, And towards the end of my addiction, I couldn't fuck anymore. Or even, right, right, you know, but having right. the emotional capacity to make love to, and then you know we get into the kink aspect. Mm-hmm. So for me, I guess I feel that one of the advantages to kink-friendly recovery is that ability to discuss. You know, when I used to do a lot of coke, at first it made my dick steal, and mm-hmm. then it made my dick sleepy, mm-hmm. and then I forgot about my dick because I didn't care anymore. Yeah. Do, you, do you think it's important to for people that are in recovery to have kink, if they're kinky, to have kink-friendly sponsors? I hear so many saying, 
I segued that right. part away right. from my sponsor. I, I would suggest that if you are a sexually active and open adult and you can't talk about your sexuality with your sponsor or in your program, get another sponsor and program. Yeah. Seriously, find another way because I don't understand why. If you're not kinky, if you are having vanilla sex, you're having vanilla sex issues, you know, why is it that you have to pull that away? It's part of who you are. That's like you know? saying that you can't talk about religion to your sponsor. Absolutely. You know, we're talking about we're talking about the goal the end goal in my mind of recovery is to bring us into balance with ourselves and to create the most whole human being that we possibly can. That's the end goal. The end goal is for us to be a cohesive unit, a cohesive person. And that means that I need to be able to talk about whatever's going on with me. Now, I do recommend that if you've got a sponsor who's doing a kick-ass job of helping you stay sober and helping you work the steps and they're not comfortable about the sex stuff, that you find somebody who is. Um, I don't think you necessarily have to throw the sponsor out with the bathwater if you don't need to. But if you can't talk about it, that's a sign of something else going wrong, um, particularly when it comes to that fourth step. Um, it, I shied away from my fourth step for the longest time because I didn't want to talk about all of the, the, the sex stuff that I had done because it was some pretty heinous shit. Um, I didn't want to have to talk about the fact that I had fucked my best friend's boyfriend. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to talk about the fact that I had slept with people for, for, for dope. But that even um, builds on the shame. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can't talk about it to even your sponsor. Absolutely. Um, so, and I've, I've talked to people who've said to their sponsor that they want to do their fourth step with somebody else. Um, you know, the fourth step does not say you specifically have to tell your sponsor. Um, you know, you may have a sponsor who's really awesome 90% of the time and you, you just can't go there, that 10%. But if you're finding another recovering person who can hear all of your story, right. um, mm -hmm. that, that can, can take away that shame. Like my sponsor heard it and, and she just kind of chuckled after I was like, so this is the worst it could be. And, and she said, I've heard four steps from over a dozen women in my time in, the, in recovery and every one of them have had something like what you've just told me <laughs> in their fourth step um, and the only reason that we think that we're the only one is because nobody else talks about it mm -hmm. um, so having somebody who can hear about all of that is really important but yeah if you I mean I know a number of people who've, who've found two sponsors to be a more useful thing as long as they're not playing one sponsor against the other right. um, you know a lot of times a gay man even though they you know, technically they would say men need to sponsor men. A lot of gay men I know feel more comfortable with female sponsors, sure. but they still need a male sponsor because they need somebody to check out the sexuality stuff with. So they may use two sponsors. Um, so I, I don't, I, I really think that it can be a great thing if you can talk to your sponsor about it, but I think the more important thing is that you're talking to someone and that your sponsor is aware of what's going on. I'll say in terms of the, the kink meeting, you know, with regards to the question that you asked, it's not that we're all sitting there talking about our BDSM shit all the time. Right. You know, it becomes okay to do so is what the thing is. It becomes okay for you to say, you know, I'm having issues with my wife and my girlfriend and then my husband is, you know, mm -hmm. and no one's going to, it's not going to become the issue. Or right. my master pissed you know, me off yesterday. Exactly. Right. You won't exactly. have 50, 50 people going, master? What, it's what, not, what? you know, it's not exactly. the big, the big issue, you know, and for me, because I am so open about my sexuality, the moment that I realized that there was a need for that was that I was at a regular old meeting and I'd had like a really dramatic experience the night before where the fact that I was sober saved me from probably setting my bed on fire because my vibrator cord had frayed and I was using it and then I saw the spark and then I pulled on it and suddenly like you know there were sparks all over the bed and like beating down my pubes like with them out and I was like holy and I felt literally fell on my knees I was like thank god that I was right. sober for this because if I've been fucked up sure. and whacking off and passed out you know and so I was so charged by this and I was at the meeting I was like oh my god so I was sharing I was like you know I was really grateful I was sober so last night I was masturbating and I had to and the whole room like you could like you could feel the oh. air getting sucked out I'm of the room during some of the meetings you I'm know 
round two going, oh. And then what happened <laughs> afterwards was, I'm not even shitting you. Eight or ten men were like, hello. <laughs> My name is John, and I heard you. Like, it's really great. And I was like, this was not a way for me to pick you up. This was like a genuine, it, and, and the idea that it felt like suddenly you get the sort of like 13th stepping kind of weird, yeah. creepy yeah. vibe. Yeah. Whereas like, you say that to, you know, people who are sexually open and dealing with it, and they're just like, oh my God, which vibrator was it? <laughs> right. I need to check the bass on mine. It's Holy shit, like they, the, do they do an issue a recall on exactly. and actually, yeah. And actually it turned out that I started talking to other kinky people and it was the old style wall vibrator and three other women had had the same experience. Huh. You know, so we're like now talking about that and we're like, well, they have a new chord design, and, you know. <laughs> but you can also talk about the epiphany, the, the exactly. whole thing and yeah. the whole story, not, right. the, not the stuttering yeah. around it. Yes, it is no. so difficult to take my story that I want to tell at a meeting yeah. and then try and modify clean it, it up enough to yeah. say, well, I have this, this friend who has this other friend who <laughs> had this... No, and that's yeah, and that's not who you are. That's not who you are. And so that's the thing about our meetings is that that capacity, that openness is there. And if you want to take advantage of it, you can. And if you don't, you don't. And if you're having a very standard problem of, I'm desperately looking for work and I'm very afraid, and you know, I might use again, and you know, or if it's like, yeah, I got beaten, and you know, I saw God, and something that never happened to me before because I was always playing when I was fucked up, and amazing and awesome. It gives you that. Permission. Well, that, sure. was the reason, you know? that was the reason why a lot of gay and lesbian meetings were started, so that people could go to a meeting and not have to change their pronouns. Right. Right. You know, when it's it, so. What we're doing is not that much different. I mean, I go to a, I occasionally go to a meeting down in where I live, and um, I haven't shared at that meeting ever. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, even if we talk about work, what is my work? I work with sex positive people. I'm in the sex industry. You know, I mean, I write about sex. I talk about sex. I teach sex. I get paid for sex. Well, mm-hmm. no, I don't get paid for sex, but I get paid for teaching about sex. Right. <laughs> so it's really difficult for me to even talk about, like, you know, my, my fear about not getting more work when I came out when I started my consulting gig. Sure. You know, because it was, you know, it's like I can only censor myself so much before I get resentful. Yeah. And, you know, I'm working on trying not to be resentful. Um, but when I feel like everybody else is able to share on deeper levels than I can because I'm not going to be accepted, that, that makes me really cranky. Um, but I do know people. It's like I've, I've, I've touched base with Mo a couple of times, and I know a number of other people who are in recovery that, like, if I'm having a really fucking bad time, I'll call them. You know, I'll, I'll say, you know, I'm feeling a little squirrely. Like, last year before my anniversary, I was feeling squirrely for some reason. You know, and it's like, you'd think, you'd think after 18 years of sobriety, we wouldn't be squirrely the week before our anniversary. Not so much. Right. Um, <laughs> no, I, I touched base with a couple of yeah. people, and I actually put it out on Twitter. I was like, I'm a little squirrely because my anniversary's coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I had a number of private messages from people who follow me on Twitter who were like, Yeah, I totally get it. Call me if you need me. Right. Um, yeah. You know, so I I wish I could say that I have this you know wonderful you know in town meeting that I go to because I remember having that back in the day. But now my recovery community is very much sprinkled within the rest of my community. Mm-hmm. Um, as part as aside from being separate of it, and I like that because again, a lot of what my goal is as a recovering person is to be a whole, complete, authentic person, and it feels natural to me that that my main community should have both recovering and not recovering people. In. The cool thing about being in San Francisco is that you know one of the meetings that I love going to, I call it Big Gay Al's Big Gay AA meeting. <laughs> It's a really huge meeting. It's in the Castro. You know, it's a total cruise joint too, which is so hilarious to me. But you know, even the most conservative queer person is still just going to be like that pervert chick. She's there. She is again with her kinky shit. You know, and so it's never rejecting. It's that if the worst case scenario is someone's like, I don't get you with your whips and chains. I'm like, cool, awesome. You want to know? Ask me. If not, we're cool. Yeah, we're copacetic. And so there's that. There's that level there too. You know, and I don't know about where you are, but in San Francisco, there's a meeting every 45 goddamn seconds. Yeah. You know, so you're going to find a meeting where somewhere you're giving someone the eye, you're like, oh, look at that hanky hanging out of your back pocket there, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're just about out of time. Any final thoughts, final things that you want to share about the recovery and the lifestyle? I, would, I, I have been... 
part, some parts of the, of the lifestyle community now are much more um, embracing drinking. Um, you know, it's like at the event that we're currently at, there's right. been alcohol all weekend. And I've, I've kind of mentioned a few times to people that I'm in recovery and have had an opportunity to educate some of them about it. Not as in a, I think you've got a problem because you're drinking a beer before a play party, but in a, okay, so this is, this is what recovery is. And it's been a great way for me to start that conversation, but I have had a couple of people come up to me and say, so, you know, how did you, how did you know you were an alcoholic? Because they're worried about other people. So when we talk about carrying that message, we're not just talking about carrying the message to other recovering alcoholics through doing official 12-step calls. I think there are opportunities for us to not only carry the message here in in the kink rooms that we're in, but also to show by example what 12 steps are about, what we learn about ourselves. And um, I would like to see more recovering alcoholics be out in the kink community Mm -hmm. because, you know, at every event we have so many potential emotional landmines that happen, whether it's being rejected from a play date or feeling alone or having a play date go badly that if we know who is around to reach out that hand to that understands that the repercussions from a bad play date may even be as much as wanting to take a drink over it, then we can really be available to support each other through that so that all of our recoveries are even more amazing. Um, I I really would like to see more of that. I I would like, and I think that's part of why I'm open, I know that's part of why you're open and why you're open, is that we want other people to feel like it's okay for them to identify as recovering if if they are in the scene and know that they're going to be loved and supported through mm-hmm. the process. I mention in every class that I teach, somehow I relate it back to the fact that I'm in recovery. Mm-hmm. So those 50 people know that I'm sober, even if they've never met me before, even if they don't follow me on Twitter or my blog, you know, everywhere I'm out, I'm out. Wait you know? people don't follow you on Twitter or I, blog? I don't know how <laughs> they manage crazy. Or they do, or they follow, or they're ex-followers because they're like, you Twitter too fucking much. <laughs> That's just crazy talk, <laughs> But I make sure to put it out there, and mm-hmm. so if they know that there's at least one person, they're like, well, that Mo Williams, you know, the, the, the anonymity part of AA, I've stressed to people, I'm like, that's optional, too. Right. Yeah. You don't have to be anonymous. You can be out and open, and that's a really cool thing to be as well. Mm-hmm. You're protected if you need that protection, and you can, you know, step that aside, step aside from that and say, no, I am an alcoholic. I'm not, like, proud, like, woo! Awesome! I'm not going to say this is a part of my life, and yeah. I talk about it, and I'm cool with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've come to terms with and accepted it, and yeah. I think that this is a great place to be out about being in recovery. Yeah. It's fantastic. No one shies away from you. No one's going to say, "Well, I was going to play with her, but she's in recovery." So, the nice thing about playing with reco- playing with people in recovery is at least you know we're highly unlikely to show up fucked up for a play date. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so, Melina Williams, Sarah Sloan, thank you very thank much. You. Thank for you sitting so here. much. Thanks for opening awesome. up your anonymity and sharing with us on the podcast. I have no anonymity. Left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your your scene names kind of both your scene names are kind uh, of a giveaway. <laughs> but not, I'm 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 not that Sarah Sloan. <laughs> chairman for STL3, and I do both events that we put on each year. Well, Don, I've been very uh, fortunate that we've gotten to uh, make it to one of your events before, and uh, you know, so there's events all over the nation, there's all kinds of stuff going on, uh, and we wanted to give you a chance to tell people about Beat Me in St. Louis and why it's a good value for their money. Why should people come to, to St. Louis instead of one of these other events? Well, you know, St. Louis is centrally located, so we're around, uh, I guess you'd say, more people than if you're on the East Coast or the West Coast. We do our best to bring in a wide variety of presenters, 
we know that times are tough, and we work very hard to keep our prices down and offer as much, you know, for your money as we possibly can. You know, we bring in top presenters from all over the country. We offer, you know, 10,000 square foot of dungeon space. We actually have two dungeons now. One is a regular dungeon that has the hard pounding music that people love to play to. And then the other dungeon is uh, a softer music dungeon, same kind of play. You can do anything you want to except for maybe fire or medical because that's all done in the fire and medical areas and they're protected, you know, with tarps and the proper equipment and we have people that are trained to make sure everybody's safe and, and like that. But um, the large, you know, play areas for people to, to use more equipment than I've seen at any event I've ever been to. Um, two nights of play, we, we have two complimentary late-night buffets that, that we give to our attendees because, you know, you spend, you know, all night playing. And a lot of people play multiple times, and you work up a hunger. So, you know, at 1130 at night, we give away. A full, it's a full buffet, and people absolutely love it. Um, it's just we have so much. We have over 40 classes. We're bringing in, you know, a ton of presenters, you know, top name presenters from around the country. And, you know, as far as dollar value, we, you know, we just been to, I've been to a lot of events. I try to keep it, you know, where everybody gets the most out of their money. And, you know, being centrally located, we're easy to get to. Okay. Well, speaking of presenters, who do you have coming this year? Well, you know, we have a, a huge list of people, and, uh, you know, people can go to our website. It's uh, beatmeinstl.com, um, you know, uh, and see the list. We have Goddess Lakshini coming in. Sweet Limey is going to be doing classes. The two naughty boys uh, are coming in. They they do Shibari Khan, and then they stay on the West Coast. And um, I talked with Dan and J.D., and they've said, you know, we'd love to come out. We've heard so much about your events. Everyone talks about them. We want to do your event. So we've got them coming out doing a slew of classes, and their stuff is just absolutely fantastic. And I've gotten more response, you know, uh, from the rope people. They're super excited and coming in from all over the country, uh, especially the East Coast. We've got Jay Weissman coming out. We've got Miss Cynthia coming out. Paradox, all the way from Alaska. Lee Harrington is coming back. Lord Prophet. Uh, just, just to name a few of them, and there, there are so many more. Fantastic. Now, so if a lot of our listeners are fairly new to the lifestyle, is this a, is this a event friendly for people that are new and don't really, you know, made this their first big event? Well, you know, um, the St. Louis event, of course, was my first event. I had never been to a public outing ever. Matter of fact, we were when we got into the public lifestyle, we were scared to go to Munches because we thought that, you know, those scary people and we don't want to go in there. What if we know somebody? And, and it was just really scary. And we actually drove to Munches and uh, turned around the parking lot and went home because it wasn't scary. <laughs> Um, exactly. So what we do is we have an environment, and, and, and I hope, you know, you two felt the same way. It's very welcoming. Um, we have a very talented staff that, it, that you know, they can recognize the deer-in-the-headlight look from people that have no <laughs> idea why they signed up. Um, they, you know, there's, you know, we try to keep it very light. We have classes on Friday night about why am I here and what, what, what to expect. Um, that that uh, just really lay out exactly what's going on. And then we have a wrap-up class on Saturday, like what did I just go through and why do I feel like I don't want to go home? Um, nice. The teachers that we bring in uh, are veterans of, of the lifestyle. They've been around. They know what it's like. Their classes are really easy to, to take in, um, really nice to learn. There's handouts. There's all kinds of things. And you know, I learned a long time ago, if you want to make a friend, you stick your hand out and say hello. So my staff, is, you know, we teach them, when you see somebody, smile and say hello. Ask them their name. Give them your name. So next time they see you, they'll stop and say hi. Or if they have a question, they go, oh, I met Jason. Let me go ask him a question. And, you know, that's the atmosphere we try to, to put out there. So everyone feels like they're a part of the community, a part of a family, 
and um, they're not afraid to ask questions. And you know, it's just so nice and it was so comforting. Comforting, excuse me. When I came to our first event, we met people that I had no idea who they were, but they stuck their hand out and they said hello. And that's the first thing that I, you know, we try to do is make sure everyone feels welcome. Yeah, and. That was one of the things that I noticed when we went to your event. And it's just, there was, there, there's no, you don't get this feeling of thing, people being clickish or anything like that. It's like you walked into one big happy strange home. Yeah. And the people that worked there, you're right. They were smiling. They were introducing themselves. It was a, it was a good time. And you know, the other one, the other thing I want to mention about your event, Jason, that, um, that I found particularly really neat was, no matter what time it was or where I was on the grounds, I could look around and figure out what was going on now and what was going on next and where to be. Everything was just so so visible where you had these big signs up saying that this is over here and that's over there and there's plenty of handouts if you want to carry something with you. And like you said, staff members all over the place mm-hmm. willing to help you out getting where you need to get to. Exactly. We put a lot of attention into our signs that are easy to read, they're not overly crowded, so, you know, you don't have to stand there for a half an hour trying to decipher what they say. We put up class schedules uh, on big boards, you know, on easels in the hallway so people can walk up to them and go, oh, I need this class. The Every classroom is laid out. There's signs pointing to where. I mean, we have uh, use of 22,000 square foot of convention space in this hotel, and we use every inch of it as best as possible we can. We even have um, a, a heated pool and hot tub until 3 o'clock in the morning, so when people are done playing and they want to go in there, we, we it's ours. No one else can be in there. We have security there, so nobody else goes in except for our attendees. Um, you know, we keep the place as private as we possibly can, and it's clothing optional. So people that want to go in there in the buff can. If they don't want to, they don't have to. And no one looks at nobody different because they didn't or did. Um, so getting around our event, we are on the floor. We're the only people on the floor. So you don't have to worry about bumping into the wedding that's down the hall or, you know, whatever's going on, you know, someplace else. You don't have to worry about that. Very cool. I, I remember partaking of that swimming pool last time. <laughs> and she did not bring her bathing suit, if I remember correctly. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, I don't want to keep you, so, but I do have one more question for you. And this one's, this one's suddenly pretty important to me. You got any tickets left? <laughs> we are coming to the end of our registration. We do have some tickets left. A matter of fact, because of the uh, amazing response that we've had, the hotel has let us get more hotel rooms, and wow. so we have we have kept registration you know tickets going for a little bit longer, but it's just a couple of weeks. Um, we do have them. Uh, I can guarantee you know people to get in you know if, if they get in you know before we close registration on the second uh, without a problem. All they need to go do is go to beat me in. STL.com. That's B-E-A-T-M-E-I-N-S-T-L.com. Everything's there. You can see all of the classes, the times they're having, who's giving them. There are highlights to tell you, you know, to say again what I've just said, you know, um, talking with you all. It tells you everything you need to know, and right at the bottom is register me now. Let's go. i got to be there. Why haven't we started this yet? (laughs) And what are the dates on this event again, Jason? April 9th, 10th, and 11th in St. Louis, Missouri. All right. Well, good deal. Well, I'll tell you, from Dawn and I's perspective, it's one of the events that we've enjoyed most going to in recent years. And um, as, as listeners know, we, we have the opportunity. We get to go to a lot of these. So, uh, you know, I, for me, that, that says something. So. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Oh, our pleasure. Thanks for taking some time and talking to us today. And um, if we're lucky, we'll get to see you in St. Louis. Absolutely. Uh, and if anybody has any specific <laughs> questions, they can just find me on FetLife as J-S-I-N. And uh, feel free to message me if they have any specific questions at all. Coming up next week. Masters and Slaves Go on Vacation.
Bye, Don. Bye, Dan.